Hi again, everybody. Welcome into another edition of Cross Functionality, the show connecting coaching, baseball, softball, male, female, hosted by former college baseball and softball players. Glad you're with us today. Episode 39, our main topic, fear of success, an athlete's fear of success. There's a lot of tentacles to this, so we'll get into it today. So let me bring in friend, co-host, softball national champion at the University of Alabama and current day renowned coach, Cassie Riley Bosha. Happy Mother's Day. Thanks, Jim. Appreciate that. And happy Mother's Day to all the moms, all softball moms. I thought you were going to say happy Mother's Day to you as well, just to to bust my chops today. No, not you. (laughs) Unless there's something I don't know about. Happy Mother's Day (laughs) to your mom. (laughs) Yes, yes. Tomorrow, uh, I am going over to my parents' house tomorrow. I'm not having, as you said, chicken parm. Mm. What you're having tomorrow, I'm having regular, I don't know what my parents are making. But um, yeah, so happy Mother's Day to all of the mother softball moms out there. I see you. We see you listening every (laughs) week. We appreciate it. Um, Fear of success. That's our main topic today. And I think that um, there's a lot to get to with this. It's very, it's an interesting topic because um, a lot of times there are so many great athletes out there, but they fear success. And you would think on the surface, what does that even mean when somebody fears success? Is that even possible? But it is certainly possible. Um, and I think that there's uh, something that goes along with this, and it's the core of the problem, and that's the need to be perfect. An, mm-hmm. an athlete's need for perfection. And when an athlete strives for that perfection but doesn't know the difference between doing the little things correctly and trying to be perfect, oftentimes that leads to that fear of success subconsciously without them even knowing that they're doing it. Yeah. And you know, what's funny. I think this is one of those things that I knew existed, but I didn't really have a title for it. I didn't have a word for it. And, you know, so many times it's, you know, I, I used to think it's like, you know, maybe not having the courage to fail or not being able to show up to that failure or, but the fear of success, I think just nails it on the head. And that might be so puzzling for some people. They might be like, what do you mean? Everyone wants to be successful, but there's a certain weight or a certain baggage that comes with success. And that is, well, hey, now you're on a different level. You're on a different tier. When you fall from that tier, the idea of, well, shoot, that failure is going to hurt so much more. Uh, I think that really holds some people back um, because it's not going to be clean. It's going to be messy. And they're probably in a comfort zone with where they're currently at. Yeah. So, and again, happy Mother's Day to all of our softball moms. But like baseball dads, a lot of times softball moms have to be careful in that they push their kids too far to be perfect and it hurts their kids in in reality of trying um, to be successful on the field, by the way, and subscribe to the podcast to Apple, Google, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts and you can watch on YouTube, the softball strength Academy, YouTube page. I do want to say this. I don't ask, I want to ask you about um, this week's episode of the lab Epstein hitting podcast. Jake Epstein and I talked about requirements of a successful coach part two, successful Mm. hitting coach part two. Uh, And I do want to ask you a little bit with technology on the technology technological side of things. That's kind of what we based a huge chunk of that episode on this week. Again, that episode was released on Monday. Um, What for you, how do you keep up with all of this technology? What do you do to make sure that you're on top of all this new technology that students and even parents may be looking for and trying to get their athlete better? 
so it's definitely, you know, we have one of the greatest resources at our fingertips and it's not just the internet, but what the internet allows is all this networking and communication. So I certainly uh, try to do my due diligence. Of course, I I like to mess around if a new product, let's say comes or new piece of technology, I like to mess around with it just for fun. But as far as really implementing it with athletes, it kind of has to pass a couple of tests. And for anyone running a business or running a facility, one of the first tests is, what's this cost reward ratio going to be? I, I, if I had all the money in the world, I want to get all the equipment I could, but sometimes you really have to say, is it worth purchasing a $10,000 hitting tracking device? Is that really going to help my company or hurt my company? So I think sometimes the unfortunate side is that is the first thing to look into. But then secondly, I want to see what kind of research was backed up. Is it only internal research? Is this product so new and is what it's claiming that it can measure and provide uh, just backed by whatever the company has put out? Or is this, there been actual validated research done that says this information is accurate? Um, and then from there, great, it's accurate. What does it tell us now? What is, does it actually matter? Does that speed actually matter? And, and is there something else that is coupled with it? Um, so I think... I, I, I love keeping up to date with research just because that was a little bit of my background in college. Um, but if anyone has Google or is familiar with Google Scholar, you can put alerts on for keywords. So I get an email anytime there's something published pertaining to softball or baseball hitting. Um, so in keeping up with technology, I think uh, what is so difficult is first and foremost, we have to um, be able to look at hey, what, what new is coming out? Is it actually valid? So has research backed it and said like, yes, this is a valid uh, measurement. And then it, does it actually tell us anything important about the hitter? Um, or is it going to distract us from being a hitter uh, or from being able to help our hitter the most? So um, I love to utilize Google Scholar. Um, I can put alerts through Google Scholar that says, hey, send me an email anytime something is published that pertains to softball technology, baseball technology, softball hitting, you know, whatever the keywords I want are. And I'll just get an email and that's um, I can, you know, do the parameter where it's not just a uh, scholarly article, but it's anything that's published on the Internet. So that has been extremely helpful. Um so that's, that's at least the knowledge standpoint. We have the internet at our fingertips. Uh, I have reached out to other people on social media accounts that I see utilizing Blast or Diamond Kinetics or Rapsodo or Hit Tracks or uh, Trackman or there's so many different things. And I've just reached out and I've said, hey, how has this changed your training for the better or the worse? And, it, you know, coaches are usually the best to give you the best anecdotal, anecdotal response opposed to a salesperson from that particular company. So that's at least how I have attempted to keep up with uh, the growing technology to just try to educate myself as much as possible. I remember when all this technology started to come to the forefront, I think it was around 2014, 2015. And I started to wonder because I had coaching friends I, I was starting to wonder how they kept up with all of this technology. How do you splice through everything and, and measure, as you said, the cost ratio with all of this new equipment? Will it benefit actually benefit their hitters? And how do they go about understanding this, this new technology? So I guess the part of requirements of being a successful coach is always learning and evolving and keeping up with the times. I think so. And I think uh, being willing to ask and being willing to ask people who are younger than you, not just people mm-hmm. who have been around, you know, like, there's somebody who is probably 10 years younger than me that has had exposure to a uh, biomechanics lab and probably knows a lot more, maybe has tested some more than I have access to. You know what I mean? So I just think yeah. a lot of times you can put ego to the side. Um 
yes, you can learn a lot on social media, but I think there's nothing better than talking to a coach and talking to even the athletes like, Hey, how do you feel? I hadn't, you know, I really liked blast uh, for a certain population of athletes, but technology can create a lot of anxiety in athletes just wanting to achieve a certain number instead of competing and playing. So, um, you know, I just, you have to be cautious. You still have to be a good coach. I guess you still have to have all the other requirements that you need. And then technology kind of just aids you along. Yeah. And, and for case in point, just look at Pat Murphy. Our there friend, you go. <laughs> right? Always keeping up with the technology and the new ways of coaching. So that's this week's lab Epstein hitting podcast, new episodes of that every Monday at 9 a.m. Apple, Google, Spotify, or on YouTube, the lab Epstein hitting podcast, YouTube page, our topic here today on cross functionality, episode 39, be sure to follow us on social media at Jim Tara and at coach underscore Cassie RB on Instagram at coach Cassie RB on Twitter. We're talking about fear of success. I've been there. I don't know about you. I've been there, unfortunately, many times, more times than I care to admit, but this topic, it's not really, in my opinion, when I was thinking about this, it's not really something to be, to be taken too literally. I think at the core, athletes who fear that success are the ones who are demanding that perfection from themselves. And in my humble opinion, this this is a critical issue for athletes who fear success. It's that trying to be perfect, and they can't match their talents with that on-field play because of their need to be perfect. And I think that I, for me personally, and you as well, you've been around enough high successful high end type athletes that you are able to grasp that these athletes have this insatiable need not to be perfect, but to correctly execute. And they actually know the difference. And I think when a lot of athletes, a lot of times when they fear success and they get into trouble cast, I think it's because they're trying to be too perfect. And ultimately in the end, that's costing them the rewards of all of their hard work. For sure. I mean, this is such a trickle down effect. And I, um, I don't know if this is, I mean, it must be, it must be so tied into what their perception of success actually is because mm -hmm. I've had plenty, you know, I, I, I think I brought this up before, but I asked my hitters, Hey, would we rather have a perfect swing, but we're not, we can't see the ball. We have zero confidence in it, but our swing is perfect. Or would we rather have a swing with holes in it? And our timing is there, our confidence there. And we're, and we're just a gamer come game time, but our swing doesn't look all that great. And the amount of girls that still say, well, I'd rather have the perfect swing. And I'm like, why? And they're like, cause the swing is perfect. It's there's nothing wrong with it. And I think their perception of success is so tied into my mechanics have to be a certain way. And really we've developed really good practice players. And that's where their confidence lies is how well I can achieve in practice. Cause they can control so much more. They can put the T exactly where they wanted to. They can dictate the yeah. drills and now they're not setting themselves up for this failure. You get into a game, you have no control over certain outcomes. You're constantly needing to react and adjust. And if we let these athletes kind of just stay in that comfort zone of, oh, I've, I was successful in practice today because I didn't mess up, we're going to ultimately hurt their future. Um, we need to really push them outside those comfort zones, push them outside and, and teach them those recovery methods, those failure recovery methods, and that, hey, it's okay to be outside this comfort zone and look at our potential for success now. Now our potential for this other version of success we're defining is so much bigger. What about fear of consistency or lack of, of confidence in that consistency? How does that relate and tie in to fear of success? Yeah, you know what? I think the fear of success has so many different heads, right? You have the perfectionist athlete and you, everyone maybe has a vision of, of or an idea. They've played with someone's like, okay, they have that idea. And then I think we all have the idea of someone who is 
kind of good. Like they're they're right at this like steady as she goes type feel like she, they, they work as, as hard as they need to. They just about get the job done. But in order for them to achieve that next level, like let's say they do go out and they, they, they say, you know what, I do want to be an All-American. I do want to go to college for this. Well, they know in their head, I'm going to have to show up to the gym every day. I'm going to have to, not every day, but a good amount of time. I'm going to have to put in the work every day. I'm going to have to get really disciplined with certain things. And yeah. that is their perception that they have to be this very consistent person. And either they don't lack the confidence in that they can be that consistent person or they don't want to do the work. They're almost like, ah, that's a lot of work. I'm kind of good right here. And so they, it almost is like they start to pull themselves back. They are starting to reach that next level and they're like, nah, I'm good. I'm going to hang right here. All that extra work. That's not for me. And that's definitely someone who is in that fear of success category. It's amazing though, the lack of coaching too. And, and I know it falls on the athlete, but the lack of coaching when they get to that point and they say, well, I don't, what you just said, I don't need to continue on or, or stick with this routine, stick with this type plan and see it all the way through. It's the lack of patience, I guess. That's what I'm trying to say. Yeah, I think so. People definitely, it's, it's, uh, that instant gratification. Well, I put in a little bit of work and that should be enough. That should be enough yeah. for what I, what I want to achieve. And I, you know, I'll actually see it a lot more with our guys who are trying to increase their arm speed or how hard they throw. Mm -hmm. And most of the time that is almost a 24 hour or excuse me, 24 month endeavor to try to get oh, an sure. increase that they want to see. Yeah. And they'll get to the end of six months, like six months is a decent bit of time. And they're like, why aren't I seeing these massive jumps? Why am I not throwing 95 miles an hour yet? And it's that, I think the ability to buy in and say, this is not just an outcome-based objective that we're going for. This is a process-based objective we're going for. Um, and really, again, shift where success lies. Success is not in, this is just how hard we threw and with the most minimal amount of work, This the success is in the process of, hey, I'm going to go for it. I'm going to work as hard as I possibly can and see where I end up. And I'm going to have the confidence and the wherewithal and the, the support system where if I don't achieve what I was actually going for, what I thought I wanted to achieve, there is a different, I, I've, I've already been successful. Mm -hmm. right, let me ask you this. Um, I have, it's kind of off topic though, but you brought up the arm speed thing. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like gaining foot speed or, or just, you can, I think you can gain speed and you're scientifically more adept than I am at this, but I don't think you can gain more foot speed. I think that's something that you're naturally born with. Like Trey Turner's born with like really good foot speed. I'm sure you played with, some girls on your team who had really good foot speed and you're like, that person will never slow down. Even when they're like 50 years old, they'll still be able, able to run really slow, fast. Right. <laughs> right, right, right. My, so with pitchers though, and this is a little bit off topic, arm speed, the, can they actually increase their arm? They can increase velocity, but can they actually increase arm speed? Or is that just something that genetically and naturally either happens or doesn't? Uh, so I think the potential for arm speed is kind of mm -hmm. already set. Um, okay. there's, That's what I thought. I, yeah, there's actually something called, uh, uh, gosh, what is it? Humoral retrograde. It's, uh, when you throw, when you're younger, have you ever seen mm -hmm. an adult try to throw who has never thrown before? And it looks so awkward oh, it's and ugly. pushy. It's very uh, ugly. It's, it's very, very ugly. ugly, but it's also not entirely their fault. If, if you did not throw an object when you were younger, there's mm -hmm. a certain layback that starts to happen, starts to happen. And then when your shoulder actually forms, you're going to have more external rotation on your throwing side. You'll have a little less, but you'll have the same total range of motion as the, as your non-dominant side. It just, you won't have as much layback. So it's, it's very easy for someone to have this layback because they've 
thrown a ball since they were young and then they get older and it's, if they didn't have it, it's been, oop, it's stuck. And now they just have to push. So again, I think the, you know, there's certain things that are, uh, I guess, key performing indicators that someone has an opportunity to throw harder. That is certainly one of them. Um, Your mobility, your strength. um, But at the end of the day, it's not necessarily how they say how fast your arm moves. Same thing. It's not as fast as it doesn't necessarily matter how fast your bat moves. What's the sequence of it? What's the timing of it? Can I time it up so that it is going at the most optimal moment? It's accelerating at the right moment. So that's why when you try to throw with your opposite hand, it's pushy. That right? and coordination, probably, but yes, <laughs> yeah, probably part of yeah. That's probably probably part of it. I would mm-hmm. think, unless yeah. you're like, well, unless you're like Anthony Rendon, who hits from who doesn't naturally switch it, but decides to hit a home run from the left side just for Some shits and giggles. Was that, that last year? He just can't teach, right? <laughs> <laughs> I know. That's why. Well, that's why they're in the big leagues. Um, so when we're talking about fear of failure, um embarrassment how does that all tie in with today's topic again episode 39 fear of success athletes trying to kind of protect themselves a little bit and you mentioned something earlier too and just that last point that you made um when you talk about you know athletes trying to be too perfect with their swing rather than just kind of letting it go and working on the things that they need to work on almost trying to be like too photogenic and that kind of ties in Mm -hmm. with that fear of failure and embarrassment Yeah. And, you know, and I I don't like to blame parents, but it is so interesting to see the dynamic in the relationship or the parents perception of what they think success is. Hey, my kid's been coming to practice. They practice the swing. It should be like this all the time. And I'm Mm -hmm. like, my first thought is there's no way they've played because they would know just how different a practice scenario is than actually facing pitching in a game. Um, And I'm sure on some level, I think it's different, but I don't, you know, I think they equate, well, if my kid hits off the tee, 300 times a night, they should have that same swing in a game. Um, So all of a sudden that pressure uh, is applied to that athlete. And I think that athlete is just all of a sudden trying to have this really good swing. Right. So that, that it's not necessarily doesn't need to be a parent. It could be a coach. It's just someone who has that big influence on the athlete. Um, And I, and I see it too. I'll see an athlete come in and especially in a group setting, especially when they have peers around, where I ha- I'm trying to push them out of that comfort zone. I'm having them show up to a drill that they maybe are going to, it's going to expose them a little bit and they know it. And they'll be like, well, I haven't, I haven't done this drill in months. Oh my gosh, I'm going to suck at this. Uh, I'm not going to do that well. And they're setting themselves up so that when they do fail or if they do fail, it's not going to hurt so bad. And if they succeed, it's kind of like, oh, I didn't expect that to happen. It's, you know, <laughs> um, and, and so it's, it's athletes who I think are not comfortable or equipped or confident in how to handle failure, right? So why set yourself up for it? Why put yourself in a position for it? I'm just going to avoid it completely. Have you ever, have you ever encountered this yourself? You know what? I think I'm, I'm trying to remember back to when I was younger. I definitely had a very low perception of myself when I was younger. Um, and I Meaning think what self-esteem or what did, what do you mean? I mean, I didn't think I was very good. I didn't think I was okay. going to play at the next level. And so mm-hmm. when I failed, I was equating that to, not just a moment, but that was defining who I was as a softball player. So I think that was a bigger detriment to myself. Um, But I, I don't know. I just, I, I, I remember as a softball player, I remember thinking it was worth it to bury myself with work now because I would be able to sleep later. Like I I just, I I knew even if we didn't win a national championship, even if I never got to play division one, even if we, if I never turn into this hitter, other people thought I could be, 
I would at least be able to sleep at night knowing I, I did everything I could. And so I, I found my confidence, I guess, in hard work as a professional though, I have had almost this, um, it was called imposter syndrome, right? Where I'm yeah. doing something and I feel like I'm not qualified for it or I'm massively burnt out and I don't want to, and I'm almost trying to pull myself back from big opportunities because I don't think I'm capable of, of it, you know? So there are minor, minor glimpses, I think of it, um, that I've experienced throughout my life. The Dunning-Kruger effect is what it's called. Ah, that's nice. what you, you, there you yeah. Go. But a lot of people reference, obviously, what you said, but it is mm -hmm. that is the, the Dunning Kruger effect, I think, is the um, from what I've done, the research that I've done is kind of like what you said, the imposter syndrome. Yeah. Yeah. Um, emails your questions, Jimbo Podcast 21 at gmail.com, as well as a coach now. How do you help an athlete overcome that fear of success? How do you recognize it as a coach? And then how do you make, how do you get those athletes to overcome that? Um, so I, I definitely think it's, it starts with that conversation just to bring awareness. Cause I don't think athletes really realize it. I don't think many people realize that's exactly what's going on. Um, but for instance, that athlete that shows up to the T and says, oh, I'm going to suck at this drill. And I call them out and I get a little stern with them. And I think they're taken back. And I said, I, I would never let you say that to, you know, Ava, who's in the session with you. And they're like, I don't know. I said that about myself. I didn't say that to her. And I was like, exactly. I, I'm going to be just as pissed off. I'm not going to let you say that to someone else. I'm not going to let <laughs> yeah. you say that to yourself. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And it, it like hits them. And we have a conversation about that self-talk and just how powerful and impactful it is. But then a deeper conversation, probably in not a group setting, is why do you think you said something like that? Why, why would you? Why do you think you set yourself up for that? And just having that conversation with the athlete, where else are we not allowing our true potential to maybe show why, why do we think, you know, why is it embarrassing when we fail? Like, is it, is it because you're right? We've maybe put ourselves in a habit loop or when we fail, we're so hard on ourselves, yeah. and we're, we're subconsciously trying to avoid that self beratement. So there is a little bit of a deeper, I think, one-on-one -on -one conversation that happens, but I think that awareness is key first. Um, and then we go a little bit down the rabbit hole where I ask them, well, hey, what what do you think your potential could give you? If you if you reached your potential, what do you think could happen? And they talk to me and they're like, well, I, I really think I could start on varsity. I really think I can be that number three hitter. And I was like, awesome. What does that look like? What's what is if you're the number three hitter on varsity, what's your daily routine like? And and they'll list, they're like, oh, I'm, I feel like I'm waking up early. I'm I'm doing my journaling, and they're going through all of this. And I'll start to get an idea of where either they don't think they can, can accomplish it or where they lack confidence in uh, just, just even getting there. Yeah. So anyway, we, we paint, we, we, we start with where we're currently at. We go to where we want to get to. And then usually what starts to happen is like, that's never going to happen though. This isn't, this gets in the way. And what you want to do is kind of play the, that doesn't seem like that big of a deal. You want to try to minimize all these tiny things in their head that they've made to seem so big. Um, well, listen, if you're, but if you are equipped to handle failure, you're not going to think that way. If you, if we do work on this in the off season, think about how much, how, how little this is going to actually affect you later on. Um, and there's, there's probably not a perfect blueprint. There's not like a step-by-step -step approach, but I think yeah. that awareness factor is so huge. And cause now all of a sudden the athletes can be like, Oh, where, where else am I stunting myself? Where else am I providing a ceiling for myself that it, um, you know, whether it might be in school or friend group or something else. But I, th I think that's the first piece. So really, it comes down to the individual athlete, too, because you mentioned there's really no blueprint. And there probably shouldn't be because each athlete is different mentally. 
there's some that's similar, but you know. Yeah, I, the, the fear of success thing is interesting because you, I really, I've seen the really quiet, shy, super intellectual athlete that is trying to be a per, like perfect in everything they are, and and they fear that next level of success for a completely different reason than this seemingly extremely confident, cocky person walking around and like really comfortable with where they're at, not wanting to push themselves to that next level. And it's it's their fear of the consistency that comes with success or the baggage that might come with success. So you have two such different personalities, such different ego-driven athletes, and we can't treat them exactly the same. And you're going to have a couple, you know, fall in the middle somewhere. You you have some athletes who don't have that fear of success until all of a sudden it comes time to be like, hey, man, uh, you know, we have athletes that are going D1, they're in a good spot. And all of a sudden they hit 95, 96, 97. It goes on a social media post and someone calls saying, Hey, is this person interested in entering the draft? And right away they go, uh-uh. Oh, yeah. Like, you know, there's, <laughs> there's this, right. So it's like, it's what, what, what threshold pushes that fear of success into, into play. So do you encounter, I'm, I'm down, 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 just again, curious. Do you, how many athletes do you encounter that are like the, the cocky type? <laughs> and how do you deal with that i, I mean, think you I, you know what? there's a there's a handful there be, there's probably an alert that goes off in your head like okay yeah you, know? <laughs> you fit that mold you know what yeah there there was a time um i don't put this many hours in coaching but i would hit my 40th hour of coaching on a thursday and still have a oh. packed thursday night friday and saturday of coaching yeah. um in our winters i would have 400 and something athletes in in a week and so that adds up over time. And so you cert like, you know, it's certainly like you have a team of athletes and you're like, okay, here we go. We can start to put buckets. <laughs> you might <laughs> yeah. need help with agility, first step and upper body strength. But then you, this group needs help with overall confidence, fear, success, fear, you know, whatever it may be. So you put them um, into group, you kind of split them up almost into groups if need yes. be. Yeah. yeah. I, you know, and it's Smart. funny because fear of success and fear of failure, I think are, they can be so intertwined and linked, but I, mm -hmm. I do think there is a very distinct difference in someone who is fearful of that next level of success or hesitant to achieve that next level of success. And But I do believe in both scenarios, teaching failure recovery methods and getting them extremely confident in their ability to fail mm -hmm. um, kind of helps eradicate those how strong those feelings are. Yeah. And like I said earlier, it has to be a fear, the, the fear of success. It has to be something along the lines of perfection or focusing too much on their last failure, mm. the athlete, and as to why they can't progress forward and they show that lack of success or the fear of success. Yeah. And it's almost like a, it almost looks like self-sabotage in some places, yeah. right? Like yeah. someone gets almost to the finish line and then they're like, I'm going to quit. Nah, I'm not going to stop. I'm going to, you know, yeah, or that's good enough. Right. Exactly. No, I'm good right here. Yeah. And it's like, but you, but you're right there. You have this like a little bit more to go. And they're like, nah, I'm still yeah. in my comfort zone. Right. So that is lacking confidence and leaving their comfort zone, lacking confidence in what happens if I leave my comfort zone. So yeah, I think uh, a lot of, a lot of mental performance training, when you start to equip athletes with, Hey, how's our confidence development, self-awareness, failure recovery, all of these, you know, positive visualization, or there's an even, there's something called negative visualization, like a worst case scenario thing where you go down that rabbit hole, but mm -hmm. you picture your, like at the end of the day, you picture how it works out. Okay. Like God forbid, even if this were to happen, even if I were to get hurt and I had to do the recovery, whatever it may be, all of a sudden you, you, you visualize it in a light of you handling it with grace and confidence and, and plowing through your, your, um, 
your, uh, th your physical therapy, whatever it may be. And there is a, that's just a different version of visualization that again, can help with so many of these scenarios. Yeah. Before we wrap up today's episode, episode 39, fear of success next week, episode 40, we'll be talking about leadership tactics, episode 39 today, fear of success. Any final advice that you have for athletes to try to avoid such a deep and dark hole? fear of success. <laughs> it is. Gosh, it is such a deep, dark hole. Yeah. Um, I think you got to find someone that you're able to talk to about it and try to be mm -hmm. honest about it with. Uh, and it's going to be so uncomfortable and it's not going to be fun, but it could, it could come. It's, it doesn't have to be a phone call. It doesn't have to be a face-to-face -face interaction because most people, not just kids are uncomfortable with that. It could be a text. It could be a letter. It could be sometimes just the act of writing out, Hey, this is how I'm feeling. I don't know why I'm feeling this way. And I feel like I need help to get to this potential next level um, is huge. And I, and I, I get, I get that that is a big step, but um, I think that is probably the most mature approach and professional approach that you could take to trying to come out of uh, these seasons of fearing success. All right. Again, be sure to follow us on social media at Jim Tara at coach underscore Cassie RB on Instagram at coach Cassie RB on Twitter next week, talking about episode 40 leadership tactics. That's our main topic next week. If you have any questions for us, email us Jimbo podcast 21 at gmail.com. And again, I hope all of the mothers out there, Cassie included had a great mother's day, 2023. Um, anything coming up that we should know about at softball strength Academy, anything, Mm. We, we have Anything our summer schedule starting, believe it or not, college. Uh, wow. So this weekend, right now, we're, we're filming this on a Saturday, but this is uh, conference tournament time. So if mm -hmm. there's a lot of conferences out there where if you don't win your conference and you don't get the automatic qualifier to the big pool of 64, then your season's over. So we have a lot of athletes starting to finish their seasons and coming home. So next week, college season starts. We have... A lot of athletes coming back in the building to train, which I'm excited about. So what can those athletes expect? Just a little teaser here. Uh, okay. So if you come to train with us, uh, <laughs> we are open six days a week. You can come uh, for up to two and a half hours for your training block. You will have programmed for you your specific throwing uh, work that you need to work on, depending on your position, depending on your arm care, depending on all of that. Your specific hitting program, depending again on exactly what you're looking to work on, what your flaws are, um, and what what drills specifically designed for that. And then your strength and conditioning program, which usually consists of three to four days of a strength and two to three days of a sprint uh, or power segment. Uh, so that's what all of our athletes do. They work their their butts off every single time they come in and we go from there. All right, perfect. And you can watch this show, by the way, Softball Strength Academy YouTube page. Subscribe to the podcast as well on the audio side, Apple, Google, Spotify, wherever you get your podcast. And we will talk to you next week. Have a great rest of the week.